0: Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Hashtag Navarra FM. I'm your host at IO and today I am joined by my brother from another mother at Pierce Penniless himself. James Butler, if you want to use his nickname. Today, we are discussing, I guess, Viva La Resistance, which is being accompanied by a questioning head tilt, if you could see us. And this wasn't, in fact, radio. Um, We are talking about the kinds of actions and marches that we've seen um, protesting Trump's presidency, policies such as the Muslim ban, his Generally awful attitude towards women. So today I'm very, very happy to welcome Nick Dearden and Joshua Virasamy. Nick Dearden is an organizer with Stop Trump and Global Justice Now, working on TTIP, general open borders, loveliness, and migration. You can harangue him at nickdearden75 on twitter.com. And Joshua Virasamy, who is a personal hero of mine. I'm so gassed about this.
1: Likewise. (laughs) It's
0: such a loving. As an anti-racist organizer with UK Black Lives Matter. um, I wouldn't recommend you harangue him on Twitter. Um, The (laughs) burns would be caustic, but give it a go. For real. At King Creole. So Creole is spelled K-R-E-O-L. Welcome both.
1: Thanks very much. Thank you for having me here.
0: No problem at all. So I guess the prompt for today's show has been the astonishing turnouts that we've seen, not just in the US, of course, but in the UK, in opposition to Trump. So Stop Trump called two demonstrations. The first one got 30,000 people, give or take, mm. um, on the streets of London, packing out Whitehall. Um, it was like trying to move through a Beyonce concert. It just wasn't mm. happening. Give it was, up. Yeah, yeah, I was just like, just let the crowd um, carry me away. Jesus, take the wheel. So first action, 30,000 people. Second action, which was just on Monday, I think, got between ten and 15,000 in Parliament Square to listen to various speeches, poets, and um, pieces of music. And the Women's March, as we all know, drew about 5 million people out on the streets globally, not, not in London, obviously, um, 5 million people out on the streets in January. So, I guess one of the things that we'll be discussing is what should resistance look like in order to be effective? We're no longer just fighting the far right on the streets. Of course, the far right are now in power. Mm. It's horrendously depressing. Although I mean, in some places that kind of onward march has been halted, not least in Stoke Central just last night, where Paul Nuttall being the least competent candidate that UKIP could have fielded other than me. Right. <laughs> um, failed to snatch the seat from Labour. But in um Copeland, was it Copeland? Mm-hmm. Um, Labour lost out and that was um as we'll be discussing, we'll think about where those votes have gone. So we'll be thinking about what is it that single issue campaigns or seemingly single issue campaigns can do that even leftist political formations like, you know, the Labour Left's been failing to do so far. We'll be thinking about um the benefits and drawbacks of having a diverse, broad-based kind of movement, where you have people ranging from radical grassroots activists to trade unions to Mumsnet types, um, to people who'd vote Lib Dem, even maybe even vote Tory and just um, hate Trump. We'll also be thinking about how long a uh, diverse Um, movement can go on before it becomes fragmented potentially fall to infighting and also the problems of inertia right you can get thousands out in the street but what actually changes so i'm kind of sick of the sound of my own voice right now so i'm gonna pass it over to one of you to introduce i guess stop trump what the aims are and what the tactics have been so far
2: Mm-hmm. So um, so far, we've concentrated a lot on bringing together a really wide diversity of organisations and individuals, going from the first one where we had like Amnesty and Shami Chakrabarti and kind of mainstream human rights people, together with at the other end of the spectrum like young radical people from Black Lives Matter. Um, I think. We focused obviously on just so far, getting our message out that we are here and we need people to join us because this is an absolutely terrifying time and people need to mobilise, need to start getting empowered. Um, But we've also put a lot of thought into, and it's an ongoing process, it's not something we're ever going to finish, like how those organisations can work together and deepen their understanding and trust of one another, understand different organising methods. There's a huge diversity of organising methods represented in this coalition. So how can we build mutual trust? How can we learn from each other? Um, And we, we need to do that because the moment that we're in now doesn't just call for another you know, stop the war coalition or like, you know, the great and the good speaking on a big panel to a big demonstration. It it means we've really got to change the way we think about our own organisations, our own activism, how we relate to each other. Um, And that means not just breadth, not just getting as many organisations signed on as possible, though of course we want that, but but depth. But, you know, and and really thinking, maybe even the organisational structures that we've been working in for so long aren't right for this moment. How do we really build a movement capable, not just of defeating Trump, as a, as a symbol, as a really unpleasant person and individual, but, but the causes of Trump because Trump and UKIP and Brexit and the racism that we're seeing now didn't come from nowhere. It's come from an economy which is so broken, has so many holes in it, and the poison of those politicians and populists is seeping through and infecting our body politic. How do we reverse that? And we can only do it by putting forward a strong alternative way of seeing the world and how we should relate to each other as individuals and govern our own communities and society.
1: Uh, Josh? Um, Yeah. I mean largely agree with what Nick has to say I think I think it's a you know like I got a phone call from somebody yesterday who's like um a big NGO he's like a a director of policy he's a really cool guy and he's he's like you know like what's going on with stop Trump bro like it looks kind of big it looks like you know it's, Mm -hmm. it's popping off and um you know this NGO wants to work with it and other people want to work with it and you know they see in it something potentially very um something that could potentially instigate the kind of momentum that you need to kind of bring a resurgence in in people being interested in politics in general um not just even leftist politics, just politics in general and you know he says that it does and this is what we recognize that it kind of those kind of like socially liberal values that you know whether you you can still be you know an out-and-out Tory but the kind of like hatred that's being spewed you know and it's clear that it's coming from a place of hate you know you feel like that that goes against your grain and in Britain a lot of people are being kind of like put in an uncomfortable position you know their so- their shoulders are being put up a bit by what they're seeing and so in that you have the possibility for very very broad and large movement but in that you also have you know a lot of issues um in so much as that you know a lot of these people that are being you know feeling quite hit up about what's happening they're also some of the people who are standing by and are and are perpetrating the kind of um Uh, victimization and and kind of like oppression that we're seeing Trump meet out in America right here in England so you know the questions and a lot of people who have been working long long time in a lot of communities across the country are also looking at these kind of movements growing and are like interesting so you care now okay you didn't care yesterday or you weren't there you weren't showing up then or you weren't showing up today or you you weren't showing up tomorrow so there's a lot of like basically to be like to be frank and honest with ourselves we're in a situation where there's a lot of people who feel frustrated you know um and feel like there hasn't really been any kind of meaningful solidarity amongst each other so it's like how how do we actually you know to grow this movement the questions we face are are quite deep basically and it's like we have to kind of come together more than a like we're all here to stop hatred kind of thing we have to come together and be like we're here because we see the suffering of our people and Apologise for, for for our, for our wrongdoings and and like really show each other that we're here to build a family. It needs to be like a kind of familial movement. But I'm I'm optimistic.
3: Yeah, I mean it's it's been funny watching the um, the reactions from various parts of <clears throat> uh, the left, whether that's sort of parliamentary or extra parliamentary, sort of socialist, uh, communist, whatever. Um, it's striking partly because one of the things um that surprised me I and and I what I will say is I don't think anyone expected the first of those demonstrations to be as large as it was. And Certainly I, not the organizing. No, no, <laughs> no. And I, I have to say I, I, I was um I was away at the time wasn't in London and, and uh looking you know, through through my computer screens and seeing you know this this river of people down Whitehall saying you know and and, and whatever you might think about you know the 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 kind of the very broad uh, range of politics that that were on that demonstration the sense there that, that that there was a a kind of revulsion with with the sort of stuff that's going on in the states was was to me like a a, a really strong seed of hope and then of course you you've had people talk about it's since going like well, but you know, like it, it, it's, it's dangerous to focus, you know, on this thing that's purely abroad. You know, Trump is is not the president of this country, um, and so there are limited scopes for political action here. And you know, there's, a, there's often and i think particularly on the far left there's often a habit of looking at, at things like this and things that involve kind of international politics as being a distraction mm. you know they distract from the real issue and the real issue is going piece of class struggle or something like that mm. uh, and, the, and 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 kind of this is the kind of broad intellectual framing of 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 one like these these events but also like why your own strategy isn't working right so they, they say you know oh, if only people weren't so distracted with these these bad political ideas and instead pursued these good political ideas we would be winning it's just people's attention is wrong and i think that's a bad way of looking at things mm-hmm. and there is an argument to be had about the location of politics where politics really is is it you know it, you know where you do politics and whether that matters. So, so one of the, you know there the, the are arguments you know politics in the street or politics in Westminster or politics is you know in the domestic sphere. I think politics is kind of in all of those places mm. actually, um, and politics is produced in part by where kind of the, the consensus of attention is. And so you've got to go to where that consensus is and start to operate there. And it's clear that, that, <laughs> that for good reasons, attention is on Trump and on the United States. And when people say, you know, when people are outraged by Trump, when people feel that they have a connection to what he's doing, that to me is an expression um, you know, when we look at why people are impelled to protest against Trump, it, it, it's a recognition that there is something there that affects them. And to me, that's an accurate grasp of the United States' role in kind of, Global structures and those kind of international global structures of the liberal world order, um, whether that's the IMF, whether it's uh, you know the WTO, whether it's uh, sort of the various kind of uh, international treaty uh, agreements, uh, the sort of free trade agreements, whether it's uh, whether those are the kind of the North American continental ones or the American continental ones, whether the global ones, whether they the the TTIP, which which uh, which we've already heard a little bit about. Um, th- 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 these, these are, there's a recognition here that, that what happens in the United States matters um, and there's a frustration about not necessarily being able to do much about it uh, and we should think about okay well you know how how we can translate that to something useful here um, but I think there is also a crisis of political meaning going on and there is a recognition and there is a you know one of the th- so one of the things that struck me about sort of watching those protests and, and sort of, sort of think about the slogans I'm thinking about the things that people were saying in interviews from them, and the, the things that, you know, and, and I'm thinking here about people who went to the protest, really, rather than the organised. And there, there was to me a sense that, a, a kind of a grasping that, that something about the old order is slipping away. Um, so that's the, the kind of world order that has been. You know that, that, that hit a point in two thousand and eight, you know when the crisis exploded, and that has kind of continued on, sort of zombie-like, with its sort of inertia for for a long time. But now, it, you, know, it, you know, it's finally coming to its sort of coming coming apart at the seams. And Trump is a symptom of that, and that's really scary. It's really scary for people for whom that has been the backdrop to their lives. Now, it might not have treated them terribly well, but it was reasonably stable, reasonably secure. Mm. Uh, they, they might be miserable a lot of the time, but, you know, at, at least they weren't, you know, starving in the mm. streets or, uh, you know, whatever. So that sense of urgency and that sense of crisis, I think, is something that we have to deal with.
0: I mean, there's been an interesting, I think, lack of nostalgia. Um, I, and I think that's because you've had two huge uh, meltdowns in terms of public trust in politics um politics as usual. And I think you can break it down to two years. We've talked about 2008, but also 2003 in the war in Iraq. Um, it is, I mean, even Trump had to backtrack and lie and say that he never supported it. What was the whole thing like, I whispered in Sean Hannity's ear that I'm actually against the war in Iraq. Um, <laughs> like um it's it's toxic it's political suicide um and i think that that's also where the danger of trump is is that actually he's taken positions that have been held by um everyone from progressives to radical leftists right um Language which is very critical of globalisation, though not in the way that we would mean it. Language which is very critical of a hawkish political establishment, right? Like we are very critical of Clinton, so is he. Um, And indeed like kind of lambasting an elitist and um, alienated political class. He's done all these things a lot more effectively than us. And coming back to um, TTIP, this was something which I think the left found, like, struggled to make sense of, right? It's like, well, Trump has killed TTIP, um, therefore Trump not that bad, right? Which I, which yeah. I think like these two things don't follow. Yeah. Um, but I think yeah. one of the things that like we need to think about is that he's very effectively managed to, you know, kind of yank the terrain from under our feet of what we thought um, uh, countercultural, yeah. counterhegemonic positions. And uh, it's,
3: it's across the left that this mistake is made, right? Because like, mm. Bernie Sanders was like, well, I'll try and work with him as far as he's going yeah. to take on the, you know, the billionaire class. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, it's like, he is the billionaire class. Mm. Anyway. But does
2: this partly come from our inability for so long on, on the left as a whole to put forward a concrete alternative? That Because if we had that, we would be very clear how we were different from Trump, even mm. just on trade issues. So I would definitely argue it, it was the left that defeated um, TTIP and so on. And he took some credit and took some of that language. But I think, you know, there's a difficulty because it's so long since people have heard proper social democratic economics um, that like fascist economics sounds not that different. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, Trump's positive trade agenda is absolutely horrific. I mean, exactly the kind of policies that gave rise to the First World War and the Second World War, you know, the beggar my neighbour trade policies. He doesn't care about NAFTA because of what it did to to Mexican peasants. He cares about the fact that it's not exploitative enough of Mexico. And that's why he wants to do these bilateral trade deals. But because it's been so long since we've been on the front foot on these kind of issues, because we haven't seen a government for so long that would actually implement a decent left wing trade policy. um, It sounds at that very kind of protest level, like we're on the same side and we agree with it. And I think that is a struggle for people. You know, for people who we've been criticizing free trade and market knows best policies for, for years and years and years now, Trump does the same. And, you know, partly that comes from our failure to, to analyze the problem in a sophisticated enough way. I mean, you know, it, it, actually, the neoliberal economic project isn't just about free markets and so on. It's also about a huge amount of monopoly capitalism, very powerful corporations and so on. And I think if we'd got our head more around that, it would have been less surprising to us that the stock markets reacted remarkably well to Donald Trump, you know, driven by the really big corporations in fossil fuels in finance in pharmaceutical industry and in defence, of course, and um, they're loving it, they can live with this, they can accommodate this. Um, how do we Mark ourselves out from that. I think we've really got to stop talking about what an alternative form of economics would look like, an alternative Mm. form of economics that actually puts people at the centre of society rather than profit.
0: I mean, and this is a question I have for um, you in particular, Josh, because I know this is something that you wrestle with every day, that you work on every day. How do we as anti racists do coalition building, right? Because I think. I certainly did. I always assumed, even though I talked a lot about the rise of the far right, I assumed the enemy would always look a bit like neoliberal Mm. racism, right? That was Mm. like an extent to which I did swallow a bit of that end of history thing. I I hadn't... um, I mean, while I could intellectually grasp the scale of the change that we're now facing, it just it didn't ring true to me until it happened. Um, and I think that uh, really determined some of the kinds of, you know, where I focused my ire. I talked about, you know, dog whistle racism, I talked about white saviorism. you know, and I think these are still important things. Mm. Um, now I see what's going on, not simply in the US. Right? Of course, like now with in terms of stuff like the Dubs Amendment, when you look at the kinds of stuff that UKIP are openly saying and, you know, the very real possibility that Marine Le Pen might be the next French president, I'm like, oh my god, I, I missed the dog whistle. Now it's just a regular klaxon.
1: Mm. Um,
0: so how do we do coalition building with those who are probably, you know, what we might call benevolent racists or, you know, what we might call you know dog whistle racists? How do we go about coalition building with them against the enemy of, of fascism? Um,
1: I not the person to answer that question. I don't know if I, I don't know if I believe that there's uh, good reason to build coalitions with those kinds of people, um, especially when we're not building coalitions. We're, we're not in a place where uh, the the movement or a, any growing movement is um, actually centering and being led by the vigour and the experience of people on the the sharpest end of what it is we're talking about, all the traders we're talking about, all of these um, government policies we're talking about. So before, so for me, it'd be like, it'd be a kind of strange practice to be looking at how I build alliances with the kind of soft touch racists before I look at how to build alliances with, you know, meaningful alliances with the people that are at the forefront of it and groups that are at the forefront of it. That's where most of my thinking is. I haven't really taken my mind to that space. I'm I'm thinking about how to build meaningful alliances with, you know, yeah, like groups that I'm, I'm thinking about how we create a space where, you know, like groups like u- trade unions and big NGOs are having meaningful conversations with sm- small grassroots groups, like what we're doing in Stop Trump. For me, the kind of extended hand towards soft racist I don't yet see the merit in it. I'd, I'm happy to be to be spoken to about it now about what could be the merit in it, but I don't know, I'm going to probably turn up my nose at it, <laughs> I don't really see it. But um, yeah, so if somebody else feels like they can...
0: I mean, talk I'm inclined to, to agree, but James already knows I'm inclined to agree with that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't
3: think I don't think it can be a priority. Partly, like, partly because it just, you know, un- unless you're doing it from a position of real strength, then these people, are, you know, these people are so numerous and so well established in, like, the British political system that they subordinate you, and that, that's not where you want to be coming from. Um, I suppose one of the ways to talk about this, or one of the ways that that we can think this through is to think about like what the goals of Stop Trump are. Mm. And if it concentrates on this kind of, you know, oh, we must stop the state visit because it's an indignity to Britain, right, then that gives you really quick common ground with those people and puts the ball in their court. But if it extends in the direction of saying, okay, we want to stop Trump, not because he spoils the virginal reputation of Britain, Mm. (laughs) Uh, but because he is a continuance and a a sharpening and uh, a kind of, Almost hyperbolic expression of the violence, which is kind of every day at, at the at the borders in Britain, and that, that extends to Yarswood and that extends to the Home Office, and was the Home Office practice under Theresa May, who after all did circulate, you know, the the, the sort of racist van go home thing, and who uh, has continued in power, you know, as Prime Minister, merely her practices, which were fundamental to her administration of the British state beforehand. Absolutely. So 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 if we're pushing it in that direction, then then that that puts them on the back foot and says okay like you you find it repulsive abroad because it's easy to talk about the politics of a, a state that you are not part of and that you don't see the granularity of but if you think it's okay here and not there then what are you doing and yeah. and that so that kind of argument to me is a lot stronger um and and we have to remember that even, even on the state visit stuff, half of the British populace are, are kind of A-OK with it. The polling tells us that like about half of Britons are like, yeah, well, fine, bring him over. And part mm. of that is a kind of cynical transactional yeah. politics that says like, this guy is powerful, but some of it just doesn't see the problem with him, um, but thinks power is its own justification. And this to me gets to mm. the root of, a, of two objections to Trump, and I've written about the, these things, uh, this, this before, is that one is the, a, a kind of systemic left objection that says this guy is an expression of a kind of global wave um a, a kind of transformative uh, you know a, a really dark and unpleasant transformation of what was already a kind of unjust world order um and so so that you know so so here he's kind of an alliance between like uh, you know the conservative right and then the kind of kind of crypto fascist or less crypto <laughs> these yeah. days um, uh, and so so these guys you know they're, they're part of that wave that global wave of kind of far right and nativist stuff but then there's like the liberal objection as well which is you know which is kind of kind of sort of agnostic on those questions of like the economics and the politics that produce someone like Trump but just say like okay he, like processually like, like in terms of process and kind of way that he's doing things he's illiberal anti-democratic mm-hmm. a decisionist and they say well okay but so what we want to do is roll back to the point before Trump and leave unaddressed those questions and that's the danger is to to give too much to that what I would say is that I think most of the people in the protests are like halfway between mm. the two or like somewhere mm, yeah. between the two and, and thinking okay this is important the freedoms that are encoded in like liberal democracy mean something to me um I, you know i think you know an executive should be restrained probably by a court or something like that
0: or chains uh, or but the then team.
3: also like they do have i think generally <laughs> well, they do generally have a sense that actually there's something bigger here and there's something that has been rankling for a long time that is beginning to explode and I think that's
2: like absolutely essential in what we do like we will have failed if we don't problematize our own society and our own economy, and Trump, in a way is a symbol for that I mean you're absolutely right. there was a debate in the European Parliament um, last week around a trade deal called CETA with Canada, um, and many people on the, on the on the social democratic side were saying, well the best way we can defeat Trump is to go as heavy as possible on towards neoliberalism again you know like so like let's preserve the multilateral trade rules because that's what Trump doesn't like and totally failing to see that, that neoliberalism gave rise to him. And yeah. so, you know, the, the the phrase I'm using is a paraphrase of a probably much unloved man in this studio, but um, tough on Trump and tough on the causes of Trump, <laughs> because he didn't come from nowhere. And if we fail to see the marginalisation and alienation that he grew out of, um, then we're just storing up more trouble for us in the future. And I think you're right. I mean, some people are just horrified by what, you know, a horrible person he is. Um, but that gives us an opportunity to try and say to people, well, well okay, but look at look at the European border policy, look at look at Fortress Europe over the recent years. It's absolutely horrific what the European Union that was supposed to be about peace and democracy and so on has become. Um, and if we can't speak out on that, then you know, the, we're, we're never going to be able to defeat the, 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 the populist wave. So I think that's really important. I also think there's a problem with, with some people on the left, and they tend to be older and white and male, um, who think, actually, let's just overlook the racism of some of the people who voted Brexit and some of the people who voted for Trump, because change will come from the white working class in a kind of old-fashioned industrialised setting. Mm-hmm. And I think that's got to be challenged as well. Um, you know, For all of the problems of neoliberalism, um, there, are, there are some positive things that have happened in the last 30 or 40 years. Um, how we think about the rights of gay people, how the rights of women and so on. Um, and we're not just going to ditch those um, because they are they have become tied up with this idea of a global metropolitan elite. Mm. So I think for both sides we've got to kind of we've got to really hold firm and fight neoliberalism and Trumpism and the populist wave and try and create something different.
0: And I think there's an opportunity with Stop Trump. And one of the things that I found really encouraging, this made me genuinely ecstatic to see is that within that space, and I'm not saying that this is an idea that's held consistently by people after they leave that space, within that space of Stop Trump, the discourse of open borders has become normalised, right? No one that I have seen has um, on a platform or at the protest started saying, well, We oppose Trump, but little bit borders or like Mm. we oppose Trump, but like, you know, um, little bit restrictions, little bit vetting. Actually, um, the discourse, and I think it's because of um, partly of the form of protest, the form of rallies, right? You can't say, well, hang on, let us um, go back to our very reasonable concerns that actually they go to what I think of as the most effective, right? Not merely utopian, but the most politically effective. And... um, I mean, not to sound like a Maoist, but ideologically correct position. <laughs> um, and I think that's really wonderful. You know, And I think there's also just a, a certain kind of beauty of a platform that is organized by everyone from social democrats to anarchists, forcing Baroness Farsi to come and listen to someone from Movement for Justice. I, I think that there's um, a beauty and an effectiveness in that. I think that looks like a small but substantive win right like it's you know kind of um forcing a conversation where there wasn't really one before and a conversation that isn't uh, a compromise either what i find interesting is that the very same people who will yell whoop and cheer a demand made for open borders by someone from movement for justice or schools abc at a stop trump rally might well be the same person when in their role as a labor party member will say be reasonable controls on immigration, be reasonable, legitimate concerns, um, be reasonable, we're trying to uh, hold on to the north and win back Scotland, right. And so it's that cognitive dissonance, right, that stop Trump is a kind of, um, you know, it's almost like carnivalesque of like, everything can be topsy-turvy and wonderful, but essentially it's got to go back to the way it is once that's over. Like, how do you say that it is not that um, the real world? Uh, like the concerns of the real world must impose themselves on Stop Trump and, you know, suddenly Stop Trump must become reasonable. But how can Stop Trump make its make itself um felt, heard and listened to like, you know, in, in the real world? Like, you know, that that precise radicalism. How do you break it out of that space? That's a question that I'm throwing out to you guys. I thought I'd, you know, drop in a little bit of back tin and then mm. take a tea break. <laughs>
1: i think just to kind of like even just to reiterate what i said before basically i feel like it 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 would be magical if this coalition which first of all needs to be like one of the last coalitions we can't keep having coalitions you know what i mean like it's dead Um, (laughs) it needs to be a meaningful intersectional broad coalition because you know the time is ticking. so for me what would be magical is if for the first time ever in a very long time, shall we say. You have a coalition that um, has the resources, strength, capital, political power and political will um, that, you, that you see in previous coalitions, but maybe even broader than before because you see groups coming together and working through things that they haven't worked through before in, in terms of like all the kind of um, big actors on the left, unions and large NGOs and, and, and groups like this. If they come together, what would be magical is if they actually platformed the voices in this society that can compel this society to just hold up a mirror to itself the only way that's going to happen is if people can hear you know Janet Alders Janet Alders speak about what happened to you know to the to the loved one they lost in her family and people can hear about what happens when when raids happen and when people are put in detention centers people can actually come to terms and have a frank, this conversa- this country can have a frank conversation with itself about what it is doing within its own borders then something magical might happen because we haven't had that. We haven't had a, posi- a, a time where these kind of broad coalitions have actually said, no, we're not just going to platform our kind of like, you know, that, that, poly- that body politic that Nick just spoke about and, you know, and, and have a kind of like a Maoist uh, approach to it, but with a very, very kind of dangerous politics. But actually just be like, you know, we're going we're gonna to put forward these experiences and these politics because these people don't just come with experience and they're not just here for you to put the experiences up and then you explain the experiences but they actually come with politics they come from you know all of these all of us who have come as migrants we come from histories and these histories have politics and some of us come to these politics and we have these politics to bring to the fore and a lot of them are, are very important politics in terms of how this country can move forward you know um so yeah i think that's that's an exciting prospect of where stop trump could go in terms of like you know how do you um prevent that kind of second understanding that that um that you're speaking about um coming to the fore that kind of like uh, what, how did you describe it that kind of like the lib the liberal uh, anti-decisionist one yeah. um I, I would say that i actually agree i i, I disagree sorry i agree. disagree that that <laughs> um that Everybody that comes is, you know, happy, is, not, is happy to say no borders, no walls. I feel like they are pretty much in between. Mm. Um, and definitely when they go away, they're com- they can comfortably slip into their, you know, actually let's be realistic thing. Um, that journey that, that we're going to be taking people on, as well as having the voices and experiences and, and politics of those people, as I just said, the language, that's kind of up in the air. You know and, and that's something that's going to be forged in radio conversations in 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 community centers we're going to have to forge that language together um that's going to be exciting you know because it, it, it will be um and yeah i'm i hope it's it's the right language and an inclusive language
0: i mean i think stop trump has been able to do something that um with all the kind of um pushing and pulling over leftist populism what is it is it possible um i believe there's like a group of wastemen who had a live event about it recently <laughs> at hackney showrooms um <laughs> is that for all that talk and and this is my problem with leftist populism is that the logic is always articulated within the boundaries of the border right mm-hmm. whereas what stop trump has done is again taking those self-same people self-same people who i do not think are meaningfully anti-racist right like this is this my point Um, and actually has them expressing a kind of transnational solidarity when we're talking about the identity of muslims we're talking about you know um, muslims not just um being affected by islamophobia by one nation state but any and every nation state similarly thinking about women right the identity of women um transgressing boundaries thinking about um the um trans bathroom bills right, and mm. the kind of um, removal of federal protections to allow trans people to use what bathrooms they choose that, that's that 's a kind of global community um and so precisely the paucity of imagination that I think is dominating the um, electoral left is i think um, in places um disintegrating when you take when you look at a an, I mean, I say coalition, and I guess I'm thinking less of a like formal coalition and more of a formation, right? A kind of you know, mm. uh, don't laugh at me. No, 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 <laughs> no I'm, not, I'm not,
3: I'm not at all. I, I, I'm, I'm wondering though. Uh, to, well, I'm reminded of a piece the uh, artist and uh, leftist Lemmy wrote recently for Repeater Books about sort of envisioning about the competition between sort of visions of the world, right? Like, and and you know, I'm thinking also of that old May '68. So going soyez réaliste, demandez l'impossible, be realistic, demand the impossible. Mm. Um, and and that to me seems to, you know, we can, and it's part, partly to do with the kind of transformation in the Labour Party, right, is that people have got their kind of realist hats on and they think in terms of kind of vote shares and, and mm. you know, structural transformations and things like that. But actually without that that element like it goes nowhere like and there, there has to be a degree of intransigence which is inspired by the vision of another possible world mm. but to, to think and, and the point that you're making about people who sort of come to these exceptional events and then slip back into the structures of thought which govern their everyday interactions is we should recognize that it's really hard to sustain visions like that when the whole world is telling you that 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 it's impossible, and not only is it impossible, it would be dangerous to you to do it. So so there's there's a kind of everyday work there which 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 the which you know which protest alone is insufficient to. But one of the things that I suppose was striking is is when I was thinking about, so we had this protest earlier this week and then at the same time you had, you know, uh or or you know the day after or the day after that, you had sort of hundreds of Labour activists going to Stoke and going to Copeland and sort of going around knocking on doors. And one of the things that, that you know, and I'm I'm no kind of great devotee of the Labour Party, <laughs> um, but one of the things that's striking about it is because it's a, an organisation of that size uh, and because it's an organisation that, that, that has been around for so long, for good and ill, um, it, it has that reach where it can send people out like that. And it has that reach into kind of every uh, every area across the country. Mm. And so so those institutions are complex for us and they're they're often hostile to to, to that kind of vision of the world and they're often hidebound and they're often uh, you know, very, very conservative in in what they think is possible. Um but I would I would love to see something like Stop Trump being able to do that same kind of work, right? Or the kind of the, the forces behind it or the forces. Um so the, the last thing to say here is that that it strikes me that you know a lot of these people who have this kind of fear. I think fear is a really interesting thing to explore, by the way. I think it's so, it's so much part of 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 what leads people to to the far right of what leads people to 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 vote for people like Trump. Um, but also the fear that people have who, who turn up to those places, maybe shout those things, and then go, like, "Oh, but hold on, the world is falling apart." Mm. Um, and the things that I've relied on, and, you know, I said the The things that I've relied on for all my life, that have been kind of fixed points in a very turbulent world, now look like they're slipping away, and that means that we have to start thinking again about what institutions are and how we build collective memory and things that endure. And this is a problem that attends protest movement and has done, you know, for for all of the last iterations of all of the protest movements. It's like how you build something that endures and that isn't kind of just located in the moment and therefore subject to dissipation when the circumstances that brought it about change and one of the things we're going to have to think about is like how this moment which has been partly generated by the the fact that that this kind of orange overlord is coming here what happens once he's been here and presumably there will be if he's in Scotland it'll be like Glen Eagles in 2005 if he's in London it'll be like you know it'll be huge 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 what happens after that
2: And I think your institutions point is really important there as well because there's a bit of an obsession at the moment, and, and it's partly because of the Corbyn leadership and Sanders and whatever, with, with the idea that the nation state is the thing we must look to to protect us and to transform. Now, I'm in no way saying the nation state shouldn't play a role in our politics. Of course, it should. And, and that is the thing that most people still relate to in society as, a, as, as where change happens. But I actually think in terms of the place we are at the moment, it, it, it has far more in common to me with the end of the 19th century, early 20th century, than that kind of weird aberration that we had after the Second World War of the wealth Estate and all the rest of it, and uh, and actually, what those early movements did was to build their own institutions. We didn't just look to the state to build our institutions for us and afford us that protection. We built our own institutions. That's the movement we we come from. And and all of these groundbreaking ideas around the slave trade or whether women should vote, whether working people should vote, you know, through to apartheid, through to debt and so on, they all came from the grassroots. They all came from below. They've never been offered to us by political parties promising to come into government. We've influenced those parties and we've changed those parties' minds on things. But that's where it comes from. And I think we're still too much looking to a nation state solution to many of our problems. Whereas we have to look also to ourselves. And I think if you look globally, what's happening and many interesting movements about how we recapture our resources and use them for the common good, energy democracy and food sovereignty and these ideas about democratizing our resources and and using them for, for, for public good, they're all coming from the grassroots and they're about us sometimes using the power of the state, sometimes using the power of local government, sometimes using international spaces, but they're all about us reclaiming our own power as citizens. And I think that's a difficult shift for people who are used to looking to elections every five years as a way that you try and change things. But I think it's one that, you know, coalitions like ours, like Stop Trump, if we're to be successful, need to begin chipping away at, you know, the idea of demand the impossible is, for me, absolutely essential to it. And actually, if you look, I'm not as as pessimistic on the open borders question as I was a while ago, because I think an an awful lot of um, uh, 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 divergences in our society recently haven't been straightforward about class or whatever. In fact, one of the strongest ones has been generational. And I think what you find amongst a lot of young people is, and this is something actually that's been a product of, of you know, an, a nice byproduct of neoliberalism, is the ideas that borders are less important to people nowadays. Um, the idea that where you come from is less important than it than it was mm. 20 or 30 years ago, and that really gives us something to to build on. You know, out of the ashes of this um, decrepit and, and collapsing economic form, form of economic um, thinking and policy making and institutions. You know, we. We we take and claim what's good from that, and we build a better form of institutions around it that genuinely meets the needs of ordinary people.
0: Um, so we are about two thirds of the way through today's show. We have got. Twenty-nine. No, wait, I can't count. 19 minutes left. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I did English literature, all right? I gave up maths as soon as I could. Um, you are listening to Hashtag Navarra FM with Ash Sarkar, James Butler, Nick Dearden and Joshua Virasami as we chat Viva La Resistance, Stopping Trump, Street Protest and more. I kind of want to pick up on um, a thread that um, both uh, you, James, and Nick have uh, been kind of mulling over is um, the importance of recovering radical histories right not inventing radical histories right because I think that uh, the British left do that a lot they, I think they uh, invent a history of English radicalism uh, where they totally whitewash um, how important colonialism is and to be honest like you know mm. I don't I don't want to return to the land. I was never from the land. I don't want to, like, (laughs) grow asparagus or turnips or whatever it is you would have me do. That does not look like...
3: We're going to have to because we're not going to be able to import food anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not giving
0: up these nails, (laughs) I I would rather starve to death, that's the hill I choose to die on. So I'm not talking about inventing a radical history, and I'm not talking about um, a cultural memory which necessarily has to be pessimistic because we are looking at histories which are contested, which are very often bloody. Um, I think we can, and particularly within communities of colour, look at the organising traditions of our parents and our grandparents, not in a way that looks at the problems of that in terms of homophobia misogyny etc etc but looks at the way in which like actually women queer people of color um organized within uh setups anti-racist setups also which were incredibly antagonistic towards their very being um i know i talk about her a lot but you know i I owe her a lot like mama um and i was talking to her about the kinds of um, anti-fascist organizing that her and my grandmother did in the 70s and 80s um and the reason why i've been thinking about this a lot is this business of the a gallery in Dalston, LD Fifty Gallery. Um, lots of art, you know, lots of people are arguing that it's not right to interrupt the functioning of a gallery because that's an interruption of freedom of speech. I've um, been chatting to my mum about it, and she was like, "Look, we didn't interrupt the NF wherever they were because we didn't like their ideas. Obviously, we don't like their ideas, but it's not a matter of ideas or of speech. It was where they organised, where they spoke in the surrounding streets. Asian kids got beaten up. My mum used very Different language, but it's not Ofcom friendly. So I'm going to uh, sanitize what it was that she had to say. Um, and she was like, the state wasn't there to protect us, right? Labour councils at, t- at that time, particularly in Newham, they made all this noise condemning the NF. They said, not welcome here. But at the end of the day, they let out their council buildings for the use, right? And then on the other hand, these self-same Labour councillors would approach um, women like my mum, other racist organizers, and say, can you organize a counter demo? where people of colour would all get nicked first. And in that space, right, where the state condemned, certainly the actions of the far right, but also co-signed because they didn't want to annoy a aggrieved white working class too much. They didn't want to be seen to be clamping down on them. In that space, uh, women of colour put their livelihoods and their bodies at risk to protect their communities, right? Organised school escorts, right, for kids who would face racist violence on the way to school. And I think that is a way of kind of navigating these kind of huge like global upswells of anger like against Trump and thinking about how this plays out in our local communities, right, at a neighbourhood level without making the compromise of accepting the, the boundaries of the nation state right you're going from um kind of social movements which transcend borders to the street right and i I don't have to kind of negotiate with the nation state in between and it's something which is also built around relationships built around the relationships between families between friends between workmates between parents and their children um the kind of kinship groups that we all form and i think can sidestep some of the kind of um Sometimes I feel quite boring questions of political organisation when we're like, oh, should we join the Green Party or the Labour Party? And I'm like, no, I'm getting munted this weekend, not doing either. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that this uh, speaks much more closely to how it is we live our lives. (laughs) Um, I'm going to stop talking now before I give away too much. Mm. (laughs) Would anyone like to pick up on this thread? Not the big, not the getting munted bit, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, I mean, one thing I can
3: say is, I suppose the thing about like the, that the, those questions, which are boring questions because they're so they, they they arise so often, is is it's not so much um, about okay. So the question about political parties, to my mind, is actually a question about how you p- project political influence beyond a relatively mm-hmm. limited sphere, and. To to me, that has something to do with like, look, everyone around this table is going to turn up to the demo, like that. That isn't a question. The question for me is is about, you know, what? H- how do you involve people who are, who might be risk averse, right? Like for 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 good reason, very often, right? Who who are like, well, if I go to demonstration, I'm going to end up arrested, and if I'm arrested, and then I don't get to work the next day, I'm going to lose my job, and mm-hmm. if I lose my job, I can't care for my kid, and I can't. You know um or who feel that you know <laughs> you know what's the point? you know we have no power anyway, or you know for who for all of those questions, time turn out you know like um s- stuff like that um that to me is the, the question that's that's addressed, so the question is like how do you participate without having to give your all and risk burnout and risk depression risk kind of you know because there's all sorts of you know like you know, political activists you know really important people but it's 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 also an activity that is hard on the psyche and that often kind of you know and many of the problems we face on the british left are due to like 30 40 years of losing and people being frankly driven round the bend by losing mm. like that is mm-hmm. that is that that thing so so to me the, the question is how you build that how you you know and that's that's what that question is asking right like that question is like, how do you project national uh, influence and like maybe that that is answered through forms that aren't the party that aren't that don't even think in Definitely. terms of nation state but i you know but to me that's what's interesting about that question
1: I, I mean i hope that like when you when you have a situation where more people are involved you won't have so many people that are like burning out and and feeling like they have to carry the load of the work and you know we can we can split that evenly the question of how you engage people who at uh, different levels and how you engage people who don't normally engage I mean, like, so when when I when I see how people organize in in other countries, or if I speak to my families who have been to things before in Mauritius, none of my family have been engaged in like political organizing. But one like important feature is it being rich culturally, so it has a lot more. Um, that's this is the wonderful thing about stop jump. It's way more artistic. You don't mm. you don't rock up and see these generic placards everywhere. You see people, you know, putting putting uh, paintbrush to, to cardboard and really coming through. Um, so it being and it having music, it having a soundtrack. You know, like like I put on Gang Signs and Prayer this morning, and it's like yes, yeah. When he goes F District, it's like yes, yes, G. Mm. That's what we're talking about. You know, like and that whole you know all of it now. All like like. It's not because it's calling Grime to be anti-establishment. It is Grime to be anti-establishment, mm. and Grime is being its true self because, because it can be because it's bypassed, it's bypassed the establishment. And that's another thing we can we can learn, right? Like, it, it is learning to speak to masses without having to go through these like agents. You know, like how? Do, and that's what that's what Trump has done a lot of. You know, because he mm. is he's anti mainstream media and he's and he's brought in you know a lot of really uh, smart people to think about how you use different means to connect with people especially through social media very smart people why aren't we that savvy or you know i mean our meme game is strong but we it should be stronger you know when you know when you were talking i was thinking i was thinking boy better know has more clout than the labor party it it could (laughs) it could reach more people like certain certain groups of entertainers if they're brought in in a meaningful way could could really get a lot of people to feel like they could be involved, but we, you know, we're not yet at that curve of thinking how to make this culturally relevant. Mm-hmm. Because when I sp- I went to Tajangba the other day, which is a really important organisation, I was speaking to them and I was like, "Oh, look, you was around in the seventies, like, what? It must be mad, you know? The Pambas were doing things, and you know, lots of groups and um, lots of groups were doing stuff." She was like, "I, I don't." She was like, I don't really remember anything, but she was like, yeah, but 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 there was some sick music. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of music that Mm -hmm. was like anti, like you know, anti, like the the fascists and anti this. And I was like, yeah, you know, that's what will be remembered. That's what that's what makes waves, Um, and that's one way that we're gonna do it like differently this time.
0: Um, I want to do a whole Navarro FM just on grime, actually. So I'm gonna like pin you down on this like live on air. Like, Mm. are you in? Because because I've been wanting to do this for. (laughs) ages. Mm. And I think like this thing about mm. Boy Better know can have more clap than the Labour Party, it can reach more people. Not only do, and it's not simply in terms of numbers, I feel that these particularly, for, these particular forms of um, cultural belonging reach and empower people and engage them as subjects, which mean, I don't mean subject to the crown, but as thinking hmm. subjects, alert subjects, engaged subjects, instead of just symbols, right? Symbols yeah. for something, right? Because what I find galling in the extreme is when the left is like globalization failed the white working class, right? Well, globalization, uh, okay, off friendly, off friendly. friendly, uh, <laughs> shegged, right? Shagged is off friendly, technically. Globalization shegged people of color more so. Right. Yes. Um, people can't call me or well, couldn't um, until very recently certain names in the street without being tutted at. Right. But that wasn't the same as equality or justice mm-hmm. or um, economic uplift. And I think that that's something where. Um, you have cultural forms like Grime, which always knew that, actually, the content hasn't changed that greatly in mm. the last, you know, the three years of, like, the kind of new wave of the revival. And I think, actually, I mean, this is kind of off topic, but Grime learned from the mistake of trying to partner up with the Kate Nashes of the world, right? <laughs> so in terms of trying to speak to a mass audience, it, it, there was, like, a first wave which did it in precisely the wrong way. And now there's one which is, I think, a lot more... Um, not that authenticity is something that's like authentically real, but like has much more of a critical and self-reflexive sense of authenticity, which I think like confers upon it the power that it has. Um, but yeah, we've got about eight minutes left. Um, I could spend the whole eight minutes talking about grime. I won't. Mm-hmm. Um, but thinking about uh, street opposition, thinking about potential for res- for resistance, how do we interrupt legislative agendas? Right. Um, I've been talking about this with. Uh, Good friend of mine, good friend of the show at Karem Vrillet, wrong about football, occasionally correct about other things. Uh, <laughs> very occasionally. It's not and fair, he's
1: not here to defend himself. Right? He's in
0: another country, I will go wild. <laughs> um, we were saying, like, we we're toying around the idea of a conference called Who Do You Punch in the Head? Right? Who do we punch in the head? Mm. Right? You can punch Richard Spencer in the head, you can um, interrupt a gallery that platforms white supremacists and neo Nazis, but how do you. Um, punch DAPL in the head? Mm-hmm. How do you punch the repeal of Obamacare in the head? How do you punch the Dubs Amendment in the head? How do you punch racist Brexit negotiations in the head? So while I am very much of a um, do it on the streets, do it loud, do it disruptive, um, I'm a big fan of punching in the head. Um, other people's heads, not my head. Um, mm. The question that I'm now going to offer up to the three of you and take a step back from is like, well, how do you... Uh, secure those legislative wins Mm
2: -hmm. and you've got to go beyond the symbols right Mm -hmm. so i mean the symbols are important in getting people out there trump as a symbol is very important because he's just so utterly obnoxious right but you've got to go beyond that and look at what he's doing and you've got to go beyond it and look at what may's doing but but we can still beat that in the streets i mean i I definitely you know i would disagree slightly and i think with some of the other guests in in and i think you know political parties you have a role to play as part of this movement. I mean, it's important that we have people in parliament doing certain things, confronting the government and, and so on and so forth. And, and, and that's, you know, you wouldn't, uh, that, that's a part of what, we're, of, of what we're trying to do. I remember one person saying to me once, you know, if you live on a, a council estate in this country, it, even the most right wing of, of, of Labour governments is better than a Tory government, because, because the people who are in that government don't hate you. Um, and that makes a difference to how you respond to society and, and, and so on. And, and so that's, you know, that's got an important role to play, counterculture's got an important role to play, but but we can do the same thing and, and galvanise ourselves and mobilise ourselves around pieces of legislation. So I mean, I really became of kind of politically came of age at about the time the criminal justice bill was going through um, parliament, That was reclaim the streets, there was massive, I mean, 100,000 plus people um, on the streets every weekend marching against roads that the Tory government at that time was building against the criminal criminal justice bill, there were a whole load of ravers um, who had been criminalised by Thatcher because of their repetitive, the beats. repetitive beats. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and and, and there, bringing them into the movement was phenomenal. I mean, some of the people who do the best sound and projection and stuff for the movement nowadays were politicised by that struggle. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think we can do it. We've, we, we've got to get better at getting across to people how certain Bits of legislation and certain things that the government is doing that seem very distant from people's lives is going to affect them, and what role those people can play in the movement, right? I think it's all, you know, it feeds off each other, the movement will get bigger, the more that, you know, people who are artists are producing stuff, which is inspiring many of the people that follow them. Um, but it will also get bigger, the more we have some great spokespeople in Parliament mm-hmm. to inspire us, you know, it will, it feeds off each other. And that's why the 60s is such an interesting thing to, to, to look at. I mean, Bob Dylan didn't create the 60s, he was also a product of it. But he also inspired millions of people. And so for me, the stuff that we're doing, the coalition building stuff, the street stuff is a really important and integral part of disrupting a legislative agenda which at the moment seems to have very little standing in its in its way but I think we can change it
0: Josh
1: Who do we punch in the head um too many people to list right now, yo. I mean, I, I think yeah that and and to go back to your previous point, I think that we're gonna we're gonna be exhausting a repertoire. Like that's mm-hmm. that's the work of a coalition needs to be in all areas at once, punching punching way above its weight. Um, I'm more interested in like, um, you know, we got those people who are very experienced at um, speaking to legis to legislature and, and and influencing it. But how how does this movement, if it's gonna get a couple million people on the street, which which it may may well do, how does it? how does it transform that energy into building our own institutions into creating conversations where people feel they can express politics and have political clout and influence not just in their own own, own town but in their own you know in their own community but you know nationally that you know, and there's loads of inspiring um, evidence and and cases where that's happening all across the world that people are literally beginning conversations and they're having community assemblies and they're starting to re rework society in the shell of the old but you know Sub Trump is going to be trying and it has to do all things at once. Mm. And that's the kind of that's 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 the wonderful thing about a broad coalition it can be doing all that. So to answer your question it will it will be exhausting the repertoire and it will be bringing a lot of people into new kind of forms of politics that they never thought about you know in terms of civil disobedience and in terms of like people who do civil disobedience but never thought they'd be speaking to legislature so Mm. Mm.
3: yes I I mean uh, yeah and I think I think that's important and that it has to do everything at once because actually the moment is urgent and I think that's important as well Uh, I was going to mention the Argentinian women's strike in October of last Mm -hmm. year which I think is a really interesting thing to pursue Mm. this is withdrawal from reproductive labour uh, mm. domestic labor, care labor, as well as wage labor. Um, that is one interesting direction that this kind of resistance may pursue. Other things as well. One of the big controversies in the US has been between the kind of that, the, the line taken that, oh, we need to go back to the old school kind of labor organizing or whether we need to go sort of continue or try and synthesize you know, the, the identitarian movements with that. Um, I, I, I would say, I think that, that we have to regard the kinds of actions taken by the movement as a form of thinking itself, as a form of trying out. So to me the question is, when when a liberal blockades an airport, what does that tell you about the current moment and about Mm. the kind of tactics that Mm. that may become available to us anyway? It's exciting.
0: Yeah, no, I, th- I think it's an exciting moment too, an intensely frightening one, but an exciting one. Um, thank you so much for joining us. This has been genuinely one of the most enjoyable shows that um, I've done for ages. Absolute pleasure to have you on. So you can uh, follow and harangue our guests at nickdidin and Seventy Five at King Creole. Um, I've been Ash Zarka alongside the ever lovely James Butler. Same time, same place <laughs> next week. Thank you. Bye.
1: Peace.
3: Navarra FM is brought to you by Navarra Media. To find out more about our work, head to navarramedia.com. If you've particularly enjoyed this podcast and would encourage others to listen to it, why not head to iTunes and, as well as subscribing to the show, leave a review. For regular updates, follow us on Facebook, Twitter and YouTube.
2: Navara Media. Media for a different politics.